holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to our inaugural edition of the Sports Exchange on the South Florida Tribune Net Broadcasting Network. This network will give us the opportunity to provide expansive sports coverage uh, by allowing us to add additional shows, and they'll come of all sizes. It can be 15, 30 minutes, an hour, or even two, like we have tonight. And ki- kicking off this broadcast is a guy that I view as a good partner of mine, his name is Ryan Skullroot, and Ryan, you are the first one here on the uh, new uh, Sports Exchange, and welcome to the big show, buddy. Thank you, Scott. As always, it is a, it is a pleasure to be able to, to speak with you, to talk some sports, especially a little bit of football, and, and I'm really looking forward to this new little venture. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I know I enjoy having you on with our show on Wednesday night with the Fantasy Football, but this is going to be pretty neat because now we have an opportunity to go ahead and impact a lot of people by being able to maintain what we call a radio format, which we obviously are going to continue to do, and, you know, be able to have a lot more versatility in the coverage. And I think the idea is the more episodes we have on, it allows us to cover more sports and just be a lot more thorough with it and make sure that, uh, you know, hey, when we're ready to put something up there on social media, we share it, and it opens up to guest pool and the opportunities for the individuals that are going to be getting involved. So with that said, Thursday night football here on tonight has the Philadelphia Eagles traveling to Lambeau Field to take on the Green Bay Packers. The Eagles are 1-2. and two. They're coming off a loss to the Detroit Lions. While the Green Bay Packers may have the ugliest 3-0 record, but you know what? 3-0 and is, not, is pretty good. So what are your thoughts about tonight's contest? Good. So you you want to go as far as predicting a score for this one? Uh, scores are always a little relative. I sure I'll go um, twenty four seventeen Packers. Okay, that's not bad. 
uh, especially considering the fact that Aaron Rodgers, to me, who's on my fantasy team with the family, you know, I wanted to go with Jared Goff this weekend, but my gut feeling is that at some point the Packers got to wake up and no better thing to uh, do that uh, than at home at Lambeau Field, which I consider a shrine and a must-do for anybody on the bucket list. I can thankfully say I've been to that place a few times and I've enjoyed every memory of it. So, so I don't know. Let me since I'm putting you on the hook for scores. I, I guess I'll say that the uh, Packers are going to win 27 to 17, and try to go ahead and give them the benefit of the doubt with their defense. So, you know, again, that's a defense run by Mike Pettit. So, Pettin. All right. With that said, we have another interesting matchup over the weekend. The Buffalo Bills are hosting the New England Patriots. Josh Allen leading the Bills, uh, and they are three and zero against Tom Brady, who's also three and zero. So. Uh, is Josh Allen for real, Ryan Skullrude? Uh, in terms of fantasy production, yes. Um, whether or not he's the, the kind of guy who can um, really get a team going uh, and win win games that they're not supposed to, I don't know. Um, I mean, if you look at their, their three wins so far are against an Eli Manning-led Giants team a uh, New York Jets team and the Cincinnati Bengals who have not been anywhere close to what everyone was hoping they would be. So you have to take their their uh, their 3-0 start with a little grain of salt. Now their defense has been very, very solid and I think that they could cause some issues for the, uh, for the Patriots going into this game. I still think the Patriots come out on top. It may be a little bit lower scoring game than we're used to, though. So what I've got to do to do my due diligence is I'm going to have to ask you for scores for all four games. All right, games. so for this one, I'm probably going to go... Um, New England wins this one probably 17 to 10. Really? You think it's going to be that? Maybe even... No, we'll, we'll go 17 14. Wow, you really see it as a low-scoring contest, really. Both both defenses have been extremely good this year. So, yes, I, I think that uh, Josh Allen throws for a touchdown and runs for a touchdown. Um, and I think that uh, we'll see we'll see if the um, if the Patriots can get the run game going. If the game was in New England, I would give it a 31 to 17 score. But I would, I would Oh, would you? Okay, no problem. But because of the fact that it's in Buffalo, then I guess I would probably be inclined to go probably 17 to 10 like you. I think that's a pretty good score in favor of the Patriots. So what kind of a game do you think that Josh Gordon's going to have? Josh Gordon, now that we now that you know we have cleared everything out and there is no Antonio Brown... Um, I think that Josh Gordon is still going to be kind of a, a boomer bust type of player. Um, I think that he's going to average out to being about a, a top 20 wide receiver, probably in that 18 to 22 range by the end of the season. Um, however, it's going, it's going to be back and forth. So this week, while I, I, I think he can put up numbers, 
I'm not seeing a ton of production, to be completely honest. I think in this game, he probably finishes with, you know, three or four catches for about 60 yards. I mean, if he gets into the end zone, great. That's always a bonus. But touchdowns just in general are hard to predict anyways. All right. Well, then with that said, let me go ahead and lead where we're going to go. You got Sony Michelle and James White in the backfield. You see that Tom Brady's going to be uh, throwing more to his bags. Okay, we got two more games that we're going to go over to your fantasy notes. Okay, we got the Cleveland Browns with the Baltimore Ravens. The Browns were obviously going into the season as a team that could very well win that division, unfortunately. I personally think they're overhyped, and I have a feeling that if Freddie Kitchens doesn't take this team to where they think they should take it, that he he's a one-and-done. He'll get fired at the end of the year. And that's my gut feeling. But nevertheless, you have a, a matchup with two teams that don't like each other. Yeah, Maker Mayfield against Lamar Jackson. The Browns go in one and two. The Baltimore Ravens two and one. What do you expect out of this contest? I really think that the Baltimore kind of runs over, for the most part, runs over Cleveland in this one. Cleveland just has not been able to get their their offense going or to really uh, um, to really be able to jive at all. Uh, you know, Kitchens. Here's the mystery with Kitchens that I just have not been able to understand. Uh, when he became the the temporary or the kind of the interim offensive coordinator last year, he was he was promoted from being the running backs coach. And last year, they did everything they could to really get Nick Chubb involved to run him like crazy. He was getting you know close to twenty carries a game. He was the top in the league in terms of yards after contact. And yet this year, they're hardly, I mean, he's not even hardly in the game plan to begin the game. He's sort of like a, oh, yeah, we should probably run the ball with Nick Chubb as well. Instead, they're trying to do everything through through Baker Mayfield. And Baker seems to have more success with a run game that's actually going and working. That's when he's had his best games is when, it's not all focused on the pass game. And the defense has to think about blocking up the run and not just sitting back and, and saying, okay, well, they're just going to pass it again with Baker Mayfield. We don't have to worry about the run. Yeah, I've often wondered, Ryan, myself, how a position coach can actually become a head coach. Let me give you a good example of that, okay? Rod Marinelli got uh, hired by the Detroit Lions from Tampa Bay, and we all know that was a first-class disaster. Don't need to get into the 0-16 season that Marinelli had because although you were talking about a team that also had an 0-16 team as well, so the Lions are in the 0-16 club, I, I personally don't think that position coaches inside of a short period of time belong as head coaches. It's a difference between managing a few, uh, a much less amount of people versus it is 
uh, entire football team and having to make personnel decisions about who it is. So I actually will predict the Baltimore Ravens to roll over the Browns 33-7. to So and Lamar Jackson could have a field day both on the ground as well as in the air. And I know that Lamar Jackson does not want to be a running back or run anymore than he has to, but the kid's smart enough that, that he can do both. One more game yeah. One more game before we go to your notes, okay? Because you have some good ones. Seattle at Arizona, a team you're all too familiar with, Russell Wilson against Kyler Murray. I, two guys that are very mobile quarterbacks. I think Kyler Murray has a lot of potential. I don't know if that offense is going to have a lot of potential. At some point, they'll catch on to it, and we don't have to talk about what Wilson's accomplished because we already know what he did. So what are your observations on that game? Uh, this game, uh, one of my favorite players for this game is Will Disley. Um, you know, everyone talks about the fact that he's, you know, he's had a, a pretty good couple years and, or a good couple games so far this year. And, you know, some people may call it recency bias, which is a big thing in, in fantasy football, saying, hey, this guy's had two great weeks. He should keep keep that up and keep it going. Um, and, and recency bias can be very, very dangerous. Um, it, can, it can make you chase points. It can make you... Um, go after waiver wire pickups that have no business being picked up. That being said, Will Disley has the third most targets on the Seahawks behind DK Metcalf and uh, Tyler Lockett, who, after, who Tyler Lockett, after having only two targets in the first game, has had uh, 11 and 14 targets in the last two. Um, Will Disley... Again, third in, on the team of targets, their, their quote-unquote receiving tight end that the Seahawks have, they just traded to Pittsburgh. They brought back in Luke Wilson, who was an okay receiving tight end, but his strength and what he is best at is being a blocker, not only uh, in line on the offensive line, but also out of the backfield as a fullback type. So Will Disley now becomes the, the number three receiver who is used a lot in the red zone, and he's facing an Arizona Cardinals team who is not just the worst team defense uh, in fantasy against the tight ends, but they are exponentially worse than everyone. They average giving up 21.5 points per game just to the tight end position, where uh, I want to say the second-place team is only is, is averaging 14 points per game at the tight end position. So this, this game, I think that, that Seattle wins – it's going to be very. I think it's going to be an offensive explosion. Okay. Um, not just not just for um, not just for Seattle, but I think because um, you know, and part of that's because of how bad the, the um, Cardinals defense is. Uh, they're still missing. I want to say uh, Patrick Peterson because of his suspension. So, um, but. If they go into, if, if the Seahawks get up and go into, um, you know, prevent mode, that's going to allow a lot of opportunity for Kyler Murray to put up, at least put up yards and possibly a couple scores as well. So what kind of a score are you looking at, Ryan? Uh, in this one, I'm, I'm thinking probably, I could say 35-21. Okay. In favor of the Seahawks. 35-21. to 21. Um, I actually had it scored a little bit higher, like 35-31. But I still believe that, the, like you say, it's a high-scoring game. You talked about Disley, so let's talk about a little bit more about Will, okay? Now, wh where does that bode well for the rest of 2019? I think it 
terms of the rest of 2019, he is going to be at least a low-end tight end one. Um, again, he is used a lot in the blocking scheme because he uh, he was drafted as a blocking tight end out of the University of Washington. Um, he kind of surprised the coaches a little bit um, after they had drafted him with his with his receiving ability. Chris Peterson at the University of Washington told told Pete Carroll and John Schneider that he is he's an underrated receiver, and it is it is definitely shown over the last over the last you know season you know the first few games last year and then what he's done already this season. Um, he is very good at securing the ball. Um, he can get yards after the catch when necessary. He can break tackles as well. And so I think that um, the fact that he is such a great blocker with a team that's trying to establish the run, and, and while they have not been so successful at it yet this year, they're going to continue to try to establish the run, which is going to keep him on the field. And when Russell Wilson needs to check out of, you know, on a short yardage play, needs to check out of a run play into a passing play, Will Disley very well could be the guy who's the beneficiary of those types of, of those types of changes. Okay, so Ryan, t- tell us, tell the fans out there how to deal with injuries uh, in your uh, your fantasy lineups. Okay, so we're I, if, um, on my on my podcast for Sculpting Football. Um, I went over the list of injuries last night, and the injuries can just be a pain to deal with, especially midweek injuries. So if it's a guy that's you know maybe got injured in a game. And, you know, throughout the week, he's kind of rested, didn't practice the first couple practices, but, you know, but it, you, you can tell it's more of a maintenance thing because of being injured in the game. That's one thing. But when you have someone like Terry McLaurin, who is the first, uh, first wide receiver in NFL history to go um, at least five catches and a touchdown in each of his first three games, all of a sudden today – shows up on the injury report with a hamstring injury after practicing earlier in the week, that's not good. Um, you know, people are expecting to have him in their lineups, um, especially with a, a game against the New York Giants who uh, are terrible on defense. I, the, the, the Giants and the Redskins are the two teams who have given up the most points to wide receivers in fantasy right now. And so you want a guy like that to, to be available for that kind of a matchup. So what you do with a guy like McLaurin, um, he's going to be playing early on in, in the early set of games on Sunday. So what you can do is you can have him, instead of, you know, say he's your number three wide receiver and you start three wide receivers and have a flex position, what you do is you put him in your flex spot and you have someone else that you can possibly throw into um, into your wide receiver position. So in injuries, and you're not sure what, what position or what direction you need to go with, whether you're going to have to sit them or, or whether they're going to be available to play, have guys, no matter how good they are, even if it's like a Devontae Adams or a DeAndre Hopkins type, if there's an injury designation, put them into your flex spot so that you can have already have someone to fill in at, uh, at the wide receiver, so you've already got that filled. And that way, if it does end up that that player can't play, you have more options. You can use a second tight end in that flex, or you can use a running back or a wide receiver. It gives you a lot more flexibility, hence the name flex position, 
It gives you a lot more flexibility and ability to to um, pivot if you need to when there's injuries. Very interesting. Okay, a couple other points, and I'm going to throw a couple other curveballs at you. Right, ready? Right. <clears throat> Let's talk about Daniel Jones. Uh, you say he'll be a fantasy contributor again. Uh, this this week definitely. Again, I have him as a low end uh, quarterback one in my rankings. So, and, and that's that's based on twelve team leagues. So I think he'll be in that um, in that quarterback ten to twelve range, twelve to thirteen range, or ten to thirteen range. He's a uh, he showed this last week against a pretty good defense who had shut down a couple of decent offenses in Tampa Bay. Um, he was able to throw for 336 yards, had a couple of touchdown passes, ran for two touchdowns himself, and really that's what really, for me, elevates fantasy production. The reason that I have Josh Allen you know, usually ranked pretty high every week, and Lamar Jackson, why he's been such a fantasy stud – it's because it's not just their ability to throw the ball. If you look at the way fantasy scoring, usually every was it every hundred yards in passing for um, for uh, quarterbacks is well, I want to say it's four points per hundred yards. But if they're running for a hundred yards, that's ten points. Right. So because of the difference in how scoring is done, when quarterbacks can run the ball, it makes them that much more valuable. And so because, again, Daniel Jones is going up against um, the, you know one of the defenses that's almost as bad as his own defense, um, especially against the pass, uh, I believe that's going to set him up to be able to pass the ball a lot to, to Sterling Shepard. He's got Evan Ingram, one of the top tight ends in the league. Um, and again, his, his ability to run the ball, again, sets him apart from a lot of other, a lot of other players in that same a lot of other quarterbacks in that same tier. Okay, very interesting. Okay, uh, let's talk about Melvin Gordon's impact on the uh, Chargers fantasy players. All right, so Melvin Gordon has officially ended his holdout. He showed up today in pra- at practice, even brought his pads. You know, you can see, I think TMZ actually has a has a, a the video that uh, Keenan Allen recorded on his phone of, Melvin Gordon walking into the uh, walking into the locker room with his uh, with his pads today. So with with Melvin Gordon coming back, the obviously the person that this is going to affect the most is Austin Eckler. Eckler has had an absolutely phenomenal start to the season. Um, he's I want to say the number three or four running back, depending on your scoring settings for your league. Um, his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, this year, he's been much better at running the ball, especially up the middle. Um, they've been able to block better for him. He's never really been known because of his size. He's a smaller guy. He's never really been known as much of an inside runner. But now, with Melvin Gordon coming back, that's going to take away a lot of his touches. Um, you know, Coach Lynn has already said that Melvin Gordon is their starter. He's their starting running back now. He's not going to play this week since he just showed up. Uh, yes, they just showed up today. Um, they're want to make. They're going to want to make sure that he's in game shape. So he may. He won't play this week. He may get some playing time in um, in week five. Uh, I'm guessing by no later than week seven, he will be the main guy. And Austin Eckler at that point moves to more of a flex play, which he was all of last year. Even with Melvin Gordon playing, 
Uh, Austin Eckler was, I want to say, about running back number 30, which puts it about you know a third, uh, a running back three or a flex player, especially in deeper leagues, um, possibly a running back two some weeks, depending on the matchup. So that affects him. The other person that this affects, which it's a little indirectly, is Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen, Every if you look at the, the differences in the splits between when Melvin Gordon is playing and when he's not playing, and take and, and look at Keenan Allen's stats, he actually gets a bump when um, in his production when uh, Keenan or when Melvin Gordon does not play. Uh, Philip Rivers trusts Keenan Allen, especially on short routes. Keenan Allen is, is very much a a, uh, a slot route kind of guy. He's not super fast, but he's a great possession receiver who can who can break away and get away from defenders to score touchdowns when he needs to. But he's not a guy that's going to, you know, have six catches for 200 yards. He's going to have, like, 14 catches for 150 yards. Um, and so he's he, he gets a lot of those short routes. Well, with Melvin Gordon coming back, Gordon's going to be getting a lot of those dump-offs and those screen passes, and that's going to take away a little bit of perfection from Keenan Allen. Now, Keenan Allen, maybe, I want to say right now, he's the number one wide receiver in fantasy, or at least close to it. I think this drops, he, he'll still be close to a wide receiver one, but I think by the end of the season, he'll be closer to that kind of wide receiver, uh, probably 8 to, to 13 range, I think is where he'll finally settle by the end of the year. All right, let me give you, we have about five and a half minutes to go, so let me give you uh, my takes on what you just talked about. Number one, my gut feeling says that Melvin Gordon will play against the Miami Dolphins on Sunday. How much? I don't know. For some reason or another, that's what my gut feeling is that he'll play on Sunday. Okay? Just one opinion, and it'll give us something to talk about come Tuesday. Number two, okay, the guy that also affects, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit, is Philip Rivers. It gives him another playmaker, um, obviously, in offense and you know, Melvin Gordon is such an interchangeable part, both not only the passing game, but the running attack that you're also a guy like him when you're talking about uh, time of possession or uh, like the Chargers could have. Geez, that that to me is pretty impressive. So I don't know. I don't know why I think he's going to play against the Dolphins, but they're playing such an opponent where they're not very good. That doesn't mean he's going to play a lot, but if you're talking about breaking the guy in gradually, I think the Miami Dolphins or an opponent that might be a probability. So that's just my opinion. I'll be, we'll pick that part up next Tuesday. So now let's, I'm going to mention a couple of players while we have another three minutes or so to go. The, the Jacksonville Jaguars are going up to Denver to play the Broncos. What are your thoughts about what DJ Chark could bring to the uh, table this weekend? This weekend's going to be a little bit tough. Uh, obviously, he has been the one who has benefited, I guess you could say benefited the most from uh, you know the broken collarbone of, of Nick Foles. Right. Um, he, in the preseason especially, he obviously had the greatest rapport with Gardner Menchu. Um, he was close to like wide receiver three or four on the depth chart when... Uh, when uh, when when camp broke and they and they were getting into the season, but because Gardner Minshew is now there, because they were able to have such a great rapport in preseason, it's it, it's staying that way now that we're getting into the season. And DJ Chark is going to be the most targeted 
in that Jags offense as long as Gardner Minshew is the is the quarterback. Well, let's not. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I say Chark. I think can put up solid numbers this week. I think it's going to be okay, but I'm not expecting you know the type of numbers that he's put up so far. Um, I'm expecting I'm expecting more of like a four to five catches for maybe sixty yards. I don't think he gets in the end zone this week. Okay, well that's interesting. Uh, let's not lose sight of the fact that Chark's first touchdown pass came from the uh, hands of Nick Foles. So I mean, I don't know. The more Nick Foles sees uh, what this kid can do in the offense, I would definitely think that you know uh, he might consider targeting him a lot more. That's one of those situations that I think is a variable. But and as the season plays out, you know, with Nick Foles holding a clipboard with one arm, watching what's going on around him and watching a lot of game film and all that, you know, there are some definitely interesting intangibles of how I believe that situation will play out. we got another minute or so to go. Uh, any thoughts about uh, Jalen Ramsey not being there this weekend? Who knows what's going to happen with this guy, but, you know, we'll close it out on that. Well, I know that Jalen Ramsey, you know, for one, is on one hand is dealing with the, the birth of his daughter, which, you know, I, I commend guys for stepping away, and I commend um, I commend teams for allowing their players to do that. That being said, we I mean, we've got a guy that's, that's you know, arguing with his coach that seemingly doesn't even want to be there in Jacksonville anymore. He obviously wants to be traded, so I think that he may get moved. They're trying to work towards reconciliation. I think he ends up getting moved this year. Okay, well, he's forcing his hand out of there, so... All right, well, with that said, Ryan, uh, we have a lot of work to do, and we're going to be on quite a few shows together. So that the sports exchange, of course, uh, just so everybody understands that our weekly fantasy show with Ryan Schoolroot will appear on Wednesday night. So, Ryan, go ahead and give everybody a preview of what we have. we got another 25 seconds to go. Uh, uh, as far as the fantasy stuff that we're going to be doing on Wednesday nights, uh, again, it's more going to be um, continuing with uh, looking at – um, anything from DFS to the injuries, um, you know, a little bit of like what we've been t- talking about today, specific uh, specific games uh, and how to deal with lineups. So we're trying to really dig into the, into the fantasy strategy and, and uh, teaching people how to really uh, just absolutely blow away their leagues. All right. Well, with that said, Ryan, thanks for being on the program. And uh, you can do your homework, get ready for next Tuesday. How's that sound, buddy? Sounds great. All right. Thank you for your time, and thank you. uh, And we look forward to having a lot more productivity. So thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. As always, Scott, it's always a joy to be on the show. Uh, Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. It's always great having you. Thank you. So with that said, Anthony Wood is due on the program momentarily, and some of the things that we're going to talk about with Anthony Wood will definitely be uh, uh, Antonio Brown and... You know, again, the Jalen Ramsey thing to me just seems to take on a meaning that isn't necessary. But with that said, Anthony Wood's going to talk about it. So here is Anthony. Good evening, Mr. Wood. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? All right. Great to have you on the Sports Exchange. This is our first, our inaugural one on this particular platform. And we're looking for a lot of great productivity out of everybody that's involved. And you're always one of my aces in the hole. So you obviously had some pretty good news. I would just preview that before you came on the line. So with that said, let's just lead off with the uh, 
subject that you say keeps on giving. Take it away, buddy. Yes, I mean, let's be perfectly honest. These last uh, couple months, Antonio Brown has, when has he not been in the headlines? Let's, let's really, uh, let's be real mm-hmm. about that here. Yes, he's back in the headlines once again. Obviously, last time we spoke, uh, he'd just been dropped by the Patriots. Since then, he supposedly retired. He was dropped by Nike. He went on to call out the likes of uh, Robert Kraft and Shan Sharp as well for their uh, questionable incidences in the past. Um, he's re enrolled at college. However, today he has gone back on social media uh, to talk about how much the league needs him, how much it misses him. And he's, he's got into somewhat of an argument with the Gi- Giants receiver Golden Tate and more specifically uh, with Eric Weddle, this round safety on social media. I'll give you some quotes from that. It, it's sure. bizarre to say the least. It's basically Eric Weddle has said, um, You're not making any sense. Glad you're not on my team. Call yourself whatever you want. It doesn't matter one bit to me. Good luck. Um, Antonio Brown has said I don't even know uh, you don't call me something something um, shut your mouth uh, little Weddle that sort of thing it's it's a bizarre situation going on there and it's, it's he's also gone after a Sports Illustrated writer as well it's it's strange he's certainly not going to be doing himself any favours he's not endearing himself to anybody he's, he's been discussing a return to the league now despite obviously having just recently said that he's done perhaps he's turn back on his, or perhaps this is just for attention we really don't know at this point in time his agent has said that there have been communications between himself and other teams we don't know who but it's, it's a very weird situation there and I don't really know what to make of it personally because to me at least I get there and I think a lot of people agree with me on this it seems like there's something going on behind closed doors with Antonio Brown that perhaps maybe he doesn't even realise at this point in time something is not quite right with him and I think he needs personally I believe he needs some help I don't know how you feel about this situation Oh, well, I think, number one, anytime you lose $30 million because the Raiders let you go because you wanted your way out of there, then you ran out of the house being uh, happy to leave Oakland that was going to pay you handsomely. You challenge everybody on the planet from Mike Mayock to whoever and make a complete idiot out of yourself. Uh, you know, he doesn't seem too intelligent between the years to give up $30 million. Then you have an opportunity to go to New England with a chance to win a ring and they run you out of there because, you know, you're under a, such a microscope to make sure you play by the rules and so many players have rehabilitated their career with the Patriots, but Brown wasn't smart enough and lost even more money. So the guy's probably lost anywhere between 30 and $40 million. So what do I think of it? Not good. And the one word that I always say, Anthony, it's called blackballed because that's exactly what's going to happen with them. The longer this stuff continues, okay, the worse it's going to get. You know, I, I hate to say this. I have more compassion for Colin Kaepernick than I do Antonio Brown. Now, I'm not going to get into a political discussion pertaining to Kaepernick, but the reality is, okay, there's, you know, he took a stance in one situation, maybe not the most popular and patriotic one in terms of how things are in the league, but Brown's just a complete idiot. If you can't go ahead and work with Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers organization, and the Raiders definitely were looking forward to having you for a while, especially as they get ready to move to Las Vegas, Anthony, then you burn your bridges with the Patriots. You tell me. What do I think of it? I think the guy's outright stupid, and he's got a bigger ego trip than Mount uh, McKinley, because that's pretty big, isn't it? I mean, really, when you think about it. Uh, 
He he's telling people that the league needs him. Ah, uh, no, nobody is bigger than the league. And if this guy thinks he is, then my goodness, not a chance. He ain't coming what, what, back. What, what, what really bothers me about this is that he posted shortly after he left the Patriots that the NFL are basically not not the basin, but he essentially said the NFL had just screwed him out of forty million dollars, but. You see, we, we all saw that reaction that he sent out there after being released by the Raiders going, I'm free, I'm free. He was delighted. He, I feel like he's just, he's quite simply finding things to complain about and finding reasons to point himself out as the victim rather than, than the person who's caused all of these problems. And it's it's just a very bizarre situation because it's not very often you get players really go off the wire like this, I guess you could say. Well, let me give you a couple words I want you to kind of think about, Okay. Okay. You know, you ever heard of the word delusional? Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. You ever heard of the word toxic? <laughs> yes, yeah, I think it's okay. fair to say that. Right, well. He's having locker rooms. Well, yeah, right, yeah. exactly. He's toxic in the locker room. He's delusional. And, and he compounds one big mistake, Anthony, after another. But, you know, and now he's a Central Michigan University Chippewa at school. Sorry, you can't play for the Chippewas, okay? Uh, that's no longer an option. Who in their right mind in the Canadian Football League would want to be bothered with them? And the XFL has already said they're not even interested in them. So I don't know where he's left going to be playing football next. There's no um, NFL Europe, and I don't think China would want him either. I don't even know how they're developing Maybe there. it's time to bring back NFL Europe. <laughs> Why not? What the heck? Hey, I thought that wasn't a bad league for many years, but staying on to the subject of this guy, you've had three of the best organizations in football. The Raiders traded to get you there, okay? The New England Patriots were giving you your last chance, and the Roonies out in Pittsburgh are some of the classiest organizations. And when you talk about an organization like the Pittsburgh Steelers that have only had three head coaches in how many years from Chuck Knoll to Bill Cower to Mike Tomlin? If that doesn't define the word stability, you tell me what the word stability is, Anthony Wood. Well, what I find particularly frustrating about the situation is that he's coming out of this complaining about the fact that the league won't let him be himself, that he's being, especially when he was with the Raiders, it was a case of they're stopping me from talking, they're stopping me from expressing my opinions, they're stopping me from being me. And he's, he's treating himself as a brand, and, and yeah, let's be perfectly honest here, he, he has become a brand in itself, which is fine. Right. But you you went into the NFL, you knew what you were walking into. You should have known that despite your fifth round pick, you were going to be scrutinized from day one. And then especially after you became so popular, you should have known that you weren't going to be able to change the system. That's just not how it works. So I can't see why he feels there's any validity in complaining about the situation given the fact that you knew exactly what you were walking into and what this, we're in the 100th season now. It's been 100 years of this. We know it's well established exactly how this is going to run, exactly how you have to behave. It's not going to change just for you. Well, I mean, let's think about it. You know, in my opinion, you don't go out there and try to say you're going to be yourself in the NFL, okay? Your personality is all well and good, but the bottom line is he's a wide receiver, okay? What you do is you put the uniform on and you go out there and catch passes and you score touchdowns if you can do it and you make a positive difference on your football team, okay? If they wanted a choir boy, they could probably hire a choir boy, Anthony. They could. 
they don't need a choir boy. Teams are, they feel he's a playmaker and he's a tremendous, a talented player. But being yourself means you go out there and become a professional, Anthony Wood. You really do. Be a professional. That's what it's all about. And I completely agree, and, and he does not exactly exemplify that. Early on in his career, certainly did. He was hard work, and there's no denying his work ethic when he's actually on the field, but he's lost that element of it. He's got that chip on his shoulder. I don't understand why it's still there and why he still feels that's working against him. You've just been guaranteed so much money, and you threw it away. No question. All right, so from Anthony uh, Antonio Brown to Peyton Manning returning, boy, when I read that one, I'm thinking, wait a minute. Uh, I need to hear more about this one. Go ahead. Tell me what you got there on that one, Anthony. Anthony. All right, we... Oh, there we go. Sorry. That's okay. No problem. The wonders of modern technology. It cut out there for a second. But yeah, no so, uh, as you mentioned, Peyton Manning, it looks like a return maybe on the horizon. Again, we don't know when at this point in time, but his father, Archie Manning, obviously a fellow legendary QB for the Saints for a long time, has said, quote, Peyton, somewhere on the line, would like to be back in football in ownership or front office. That's very interesting. I mean, look, look no further than his last GM, John Elway, he did exactly the same thing. He went the same route. Look at the head of the XFL, Oliver Luck. Same thing, obviously, not as much of a legendary career in the NFL, but regardless, he's gone that same direction. So does that mean we're going to see Peyton as a GM at some point? Does that mean we're going to see him, say, as a head scout or... Who, who knows? Or is he going to try and head up a league like Oliver Luck has done? It's going to be interesting to watch, but let, let's, be, let's be perfectly honest here. It's going to be a shame once he le once he leaves the airwaves because he's very entertaining on television. Well, I don't have ESPN Plus, but I, I can only imagine that if he puts as much preparation into any of those positions as he does preparing, that's another story. I'll get I'll shed a little light on that one if you want. Okay, I think that the two most logical places for Peyton Manning would be one with the Tennessee Titans, uh, since he played uh, college ball at the University of Tennessee out in Knoxville. And the other one, uh, Jim Irsay, I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted him to be a part of that organization, because let's face the reality, Lucas Oil Field is the house that Peyton built. So, you know, I think those would be two interesting dynamics. I think those two uh, franchises could certainly use uh, what he has and his reputation in those markets. So that's what I think. What about you? Do you think those would be two logical uh, spots? I agree. At this point in time, those are certainly the destinations you'd imagine him going in. Does he perhaps wait another five, ten years and then maybe look at working his way through the Denver Broncos, maybe as a replacement for, for John Elway in the end? Who knows? I mean, Elway's no spring chicken at this point in time, so maybe he could be looking at him as a replacement. I can't see why he would lead television right now, given how successful he's been these last couple of years, especially with the ESPN Plus series this year. So I can't imagine it's going to be particularly anytime soon, but what I find particularly exciting about this, though, is seeing these NFL players heading back into the league. Obviously, we've got... Look, look at Wes Welk, for example. He's now with the 49ers. He's got uh, Andre Johnson down with the Texans, Brian Cushing down there as well, and you've got a bunch of former players. Mike Vrabel, Tennessee. It's right. great seeing these former players in the league. I always love seeing that. And the uh, I think it'd be great to have him in. I know that um, another player I spoke to not too long ago, Andrew Thompson, I mentioned this now from the Texans, he said himself he would quite like to be a GM one day, so who knows, one day maybe we'll see uh, Payne against Andre as GMs. Yeah, I guess Denver would intrigue me. I think if I had to really look at Denver as a possibility, it would definitely be a distant third. But again, you know what? You're right, a lot of former NFL players uh, have made their uh, inroads in there, and uh, John Lynch has done a pretty admirable job with the 49ers. 
And I'm sure the list goes on and on. You know, players are, that have a lot of knowledge certainly like to think that there's a career after their playing days. So yeah, I'll with you there. I can see that. The only one that I never saw as a fit, okay, for uh, front office was Dan Marino. And I say that because Dan Marino, to me, realizes he's got to work really hard to do it. It's not the old Dan Marino dandy Dan look where you, you know, you're a figurehead. But these other individuals that we're talking about, okay, are certainly worthy of it for sure. So, yeah, that, that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, you know, unfortunately, a topic that we I'm tired of hearing about, but unfortunately we do hear it, is Jalen Ramsey. So, go ahead. Let's talk about Jalen Ramsey. Yes, yeah, so I can imagine you're, you're very bored of hearing this story now, especially being down in Florida. But, yes, there's more news about Jalen Ramsey, of course, the uh, star cornerback. He's, he's easily one of the best, if not the best, in the league in his position. But he will not be playing for the Jags this season, this, uh, this weekend, pardon me. Right. Our own head coach has released a statement. He has said, quote, months ago into the offseason, Jalen notified me that he was expecting the birth of his second child in late September. We spoke about this recently and again today after practice and decided that it was best for Jalen to fly to Nashville tonight after meetings to be with his family during the birth of their daughter. He will return to the team when he's ready and we will provide an update at that time. But what's interesting about this is that and this is a quote from Adam Schefter here. In this one week since Monday, Jalen Ramsey has had the flu. He's had a sore back. He's also had hamstring issues. And now he's flying away for the birth of his second child. Now, you certainly can't blame him for wanting to be there for the birth of his child. But it certainly seems as if the situation between him and, uh, and the Jaguars is not looking particularly good. And I've got a quote, quote here from Ian Rappaport as well, who said on his podcast, I'm not sure if I've played my final game for the Jags yet, but... Uh, or, or not, but my trade request still stands. Once respected, lost to both parties, I think it is time to part ways. So, I, to be perfectly honest here, I, I don't, not, no criticism at all for him wanting to be there for the birth of his daughter, but if I'm not getting any in, indications that the, his long term future is still with the Jags. I think that, that relationship between him, him, Marone, and Coughlin is undeniably broken for good at this point in time. He may finish the season with them, and he probably will, because I can't imagine Coughlin's going to want to lose a player of his caliber entirely if, he, if there's any chance of bringing him back, even for a few games, but I think his future's elsewhere. Well, I mean, I know Doug Marone personally, and I've gotten into, I'm working closely with the Jaguars. Doug Marone is certainly doing what he got, has to do as the lead man talking on behalf of the franchise all the time, because he's obviously in the press conferences day in and day out. So he has to do it. Uh, Jalen Ramsey will finish out the year in Jacksonville. That's my belief. Uh, beyond that, it's anybody's guess. But Jacksonville will not sell this guy cheap. They don't have to. He's still under club control, whether he likes it or not. So he has to deal with it. In terms of all his ailments this week, when it comes to uh, the flu one minute, now the birth of a child, I understand that. You know, life happens, okay? It really does. But in the end... You know, Jalen Ramsey is under contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jalen Ramsey is collecting a paycheck from the Jacksonville Jaguars, okay? And if Jalen Ramsey wants to increase his value, it would be best for him to keep his mouth shut, okay, and not realize that the 31 organizations are watching his behavior to make sure that, you know, is he the type of guy that is a disruptive force or is he a guy that's a playmaker? We all know what he does on the field, what he's on the field. He's a good, great player. He really is.
but we're talking about so many pendulant children here in this league week in and week out, which unfortunately, Anthony, overshadows what's going on on the football field, and that's an unfortunate shame, but, you know, I mean, so, you know, Ramsey won't be there in Denver, so what's it going to be next week? As you know, I send you a lot of material uh, from my sources so that you can use it as a reference period, so that gives you an opportunity to evaluate and try to read into it at own. I don't expect you only to go ahead and give me nuts and bolts. And thankfully, you've been able to grow with us by being able to incorporate commentary. And that's where I think you'll continue to grow as an NFL commentator slash broadcaster. So read into whatever you want to read into it. But if I were uh, Jalen Ramsey, you know, like Antonio Brown, it would be wise to keep your mouth shut and let your plane do the talking. And the other things will ultimately work out. Except in the case of Brown, where nothing's going to work out. So with that said, <laughs> uh, let's talk about Melvin Gordon. Yes, Melvin Gordon, his holdout has finally ended. He obviously said he was comfortable sitting out this season or as a force through a trade or, or for a new or a new deal. He was he's desperate for a higher deal. He feels he deserves to pay more. Cost of the holdout in the end has cost him $1.2 million in fines. He's also lost a further $989,000 in base salary alone for the first three games. He will still earn the rest. Of, he will still earn 4.6 million of base value for the rest of the season. Uh, he will also be a free agent after the season, but supposedly he plans to move on. Uh, now I have heard that it's been reported that he was open to a move to Houston, and I'm guessing that that's not come from nowhere. My guess is Houston certainly were interested in him as well because they could have done with a running back like him. Um, but LA supposedly were not interested, which does not surprise me one bit. They are very stubborn in that regard, and uh, Austin Eckler has done. He's done such a good job in his absence of running back that at the end of the day, my guess is Gordon simply saw the situation and went, well, they're really not losing me. has not done them any harm, to be perfectly honest. Elston Eckler's been extremely good. So uh, moving forward, after his return today, Coach Lynn said he's our starter, no doubt. He was our starter for a reason. As soon as Melvin's ready, he'll go back. He'll go back to number one. Uh, he has also gone on to say that Eckler and uh, third choice Jackson will carry on playing. They will get plenty of game time moving forward. But I think, if anything, this has just hurt his value. Certainly among the Chargers, I think. If the Chargers are going to try and bring him back at the end of this season, which I'm sure they'll still try to do, they're going to point out to how well the likes of Eckler played this year and go, well, you, there are others that can do the same job as you. There are others that can thrive in this system as well. Maybe don't demand quite as much. So I can't necessarily see him rejoining the Chargers after this year. I think this may well be his last year in L.A. Yeah, so let me ask you a question. Let's talk about Sunday, Anthony. The Chargers are down in Miami at Hard Rock Stadium. Do you see uh, Melvin Gordon Gordon suiting up and playing even a little bit to get going? What would you say? I think he will a little bit, but I certainly don't think I just certainly don't think he'll start. Eckler's been so good, and Melvin's been off. Melvin Gordon's been off, off for such a long time now. He's not going to be game ready just yet. And even if he is, there's going to be a lot of rust there. I think maybe they bring him in for a few plays, see how he does. But I would still say they rely on Eckler because again. No disrespect to the Dolphins intended, but at the end of the day, it is the Dolphins. We've seen how they played this year. They were decent in the first half against the Cowboys last week. Do not get me wrong, but they're not they're not as good as, say, the Texans last week or, or anything before that or all coming after this week. It's, it's not a difficult fixture for, from a Chargers point of view. So I would say lean on Eckler as much as they can and that would and help ease Gordon back in. There's no point in rushing him back in, especially not in a game like this where the Chargers really should win it. Well, you're not disrespecting the Dolphins, Anthony. You know why? They're simply outright bad. Period. They are. 
I mean, they're you know they they're headed for a dark season. Everybody knows that they all expect it in these parts, so that it is what it is. I could see maybe Gordon getting eight to ten carries and not a whole lot, just to kind of ease back into it. I, I could see that. So you know, it's one of those types of things that they're going to evaluate it. And let me tell you something, Anthony. I've been around this league long enough to know that. Do you think any coach? or front office team's going to really let you know what a guy's availability is way before the fact that they game plan <laughs> and this more, more than any other sport on the planet? No, certainly not. And, uh, yeah, I think, like you said, I think 8-10 carries could well be accurate. We're not going to see a lot of him this week. Next week, I think, is the week to start looking out of him more closely. And uh, if you've got him in your fantasy teams, maybe look at putting him in next week or the week after. Yeah, when, let me tell you, Anthony, when I see players taking longer layoffs, and I'm talking about missing games. One that really immediately comes to mind is Des Bryant, okay? How did that happen? How did it work out when he came back to New Orleans and finally played a game for the Saints? He was injured and he was done. What do these players exactly. really and that's, feel? And that's, that's, that's what they're going to want to avoid at this point in time is rushing him in too quickly, especially in, like I said, some of the meaningless games. Don't rush him in. It's not worth it. That's true. So, I mean, I think the player is smart enough to realize it. But, you know, and, and the Chargers, obviously, to me, are a team that still is a playoff team. Uh, I think they definitely can be, and the season's long. They should get a win this weekend, but we'll see how it all plays out. And I know they want to be as competitive as they can as their new building with the Rams opens up next year. So, I'm going to go drop a few other NFL notes your way, okay, Anthony? And just give me your observations, okay? You ready? All right? Absolutely. So, I understand that the NFL dropped its proposal for an 18-game season, and they're focused on 17. And it's a proposal where, where they're talking about reducing one or two preseason games and the possibility of expanding the playoffs with one extra team per conference. That seems to be what they consider a suitable compromise to what they're looking to do. Do you see that actually taking place? I think it's it's a little too early to say yes or no definitively, simply because we need to see what the collective bargaining agreement that they're obviously working on at the moment comes out to. Once that comes out, I think we'll have a much better idea of, of what they're going to do to the schedule. Now, I think getting rid of this 18-game idea is a good idea. That wasn't going to work. The way that they'd written it out was that no player could play more than 16 games in that 18 uh, season. Which, which simply wasn't going to work. We were going to get games of, of poor quality, and it just it really was not worth it, and especially the extra wear and tear on the, on the players. Now, I'm all for getting rid of a, a game or two in preseason. I think a lot of coaches and certainly a lot of players will be for that indeed, um, because at the end of the day, we, there were too many injuries in preseason, too much unnecessary wear and tear on the players. It's just not necessary. Now, expanding the playoffs, I can certainly see happening simply for the fact, from the NFL point of view, it makes a lot of sense for them simply because it's going to rake in a lot more money. Right. They can charge a lot more. They can charge a lot more for the advertising fees, and they're going to make a lot more in terms of marketing as well. So, from their point of view, this makes absolute perfect sense. From a fan's point of view, does it diminish the accomplishment of getting into the playoffs a little bit? Yes, for me, it does. So, do I love that about it? No. But on the other hand, you'll get more fans, you get to see their team in the playoff games, you'll get more players, you get to play in the playoff games. So maybe it's not such a bad thing. It's, I, I still think, and I maintain, that it's a bit too early to predict whether it is going to happen or not, because I want to see what the NFLPA has to say in their bargaining agreement with, with those two games per year first. I think two interesting dynamics of this whole subject, Anthony, are one, 
let's just say it does happen. You have 17 games instead of 16. It'll be interesting to see how the schedule makers uh, work it out year in and year out. One team gets nine home games, and then they go uh, nine road games the following year. And then where would that other game actually come from? Most I would think most likely either in the conference or they could probably institute a game where you have a rivalry game. So I think, I mean, again, this, Anthony, this is nothing more than mere speculation from somebody that thinks, you know, maybe that one game is a rivalry game every year where it rotates back and forth. I mean, that, you know, let's face it, I know you don't know a lot about baseball, but let's not kid ourselves. Interleague play uh, does draw a lot more people, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, it's an intriguing possibility. Now, I got to tell you where the age difference is between me and you, okay? Once upon a time, okay, when I was a kid, long before you ever hatched out in the UK, they used to have six preseason games. Can you imagine that, Anthony Wood? Six preseason games, everybody's whining about four. I can't imagine the fury that would come out from the NFLPA as a result of that nowadays. I cannot see that going down particularly well with today's players, can you? Well, that is funny. Because I don't know how prevalent the... Uh, the NFLPA was back then when they had six games. And let's take it a step further, okay, Anthony? Uh, the NFL used to have uh, 15 to 20 rounds for drafting, where now you're down to probably much seven with undrafted free agents. So when you talk about the dynamics and the logistics, Anthony, of how things have changed from what you're looking at them for, where yours truly here is looking for, for them, it's certainly a different dynamic. And... Uh, I don't know, man. I remember many years ago when they struck and then you had players walking the picket line like Joe Montana uh, and all these guys realized that these game checks add up. Gordon knew that too, but I think the biggest thing with him is the fact that he, if he didn't come back, he would lose the accrued time and that would delay his free agency. And I think from that standpoint, it worked out. We had a situation where Le'Veon Bell didn't really care. Uh, and he ended up walking, and then the Steelers didn't object to him anyhow, and they thought that they had their solution in James Conner. You know, so again, the dynamics of what you're dealing with here are definitely interesting, and, you know, you talked about, we talked about Melvin Gordon, and let me validate your point with a couple of interesting facts, okay? You know, yes, he did lose three game checks, and without them, the Chargers produced 13th best running game in the league with 111.7 yards, Per contest, and uh, obviously you talked about the final year of his contract, and he had to report to the team by November 29th, so to accrue that extra service time. So, you know, yeah, there's no question that there's definitely a lot of bad blood there, and you know, again, I talked about the uh, Chargers going ahead and playing the Miami Dolphins to kind of get his feet wet, but I think you're uh, that there is enough bad blood uh, between the Chargers and Gordon that he will ultimately move on. To me, it would be anybody's guess where he would go. I know the, our friends up in Wisconsin would like to see him in a Packers uniform. But will the uh, team that's owned by the stockholders ever give in to that? <laughs> I don't know. Well, here's, here's a suggestion for you then. Here's a little thought for you. Just uh, Obviously, I know we've only got a couple minutes left, but I've got to throw this out there. And this is, again, it's not, it's not anything that's come from anywhere. This is purely from my own very strange head. What if they were to introduce, as opposed to making the draft longer again and bringing back all those extra rounds what if they were to do a one to two round draft of purely non-US players 
because there are more and more Europeans coming into the game now. There are quite a few Canadians in, there are quite a few Australians in. Well, uh, for a guy that doesn't know anything about baseball, okay, baseball does the international draft to complement it as well. So It does. It does. So I like that idea. So you know what you're going to do after you get off tonight? When you come on next week, you and I are going to have a nice discussion about that. How does that sound, right? Write it in your notes. I'll go speak to the NFLPA as well, see what they think. Well, do a little bit of research, okay? And that will be one of our points of discussion <laughs> next week. So, all right, uh, Bill Woods, uh, Bill Winters is doing any... Uh, moment so Anthony thank you very much and uh, think about what I said about the international draft pool uh, because that's certainly a point of uh, discussion that we're going to elaborate on next week okay Anthony absolutely thank you very much uh, thank you for being on and enjoy the Packers and the Eagles game alright buddy certainly yep. will take care alright thanks we'll talk to you soon thank you Anthony Anthony Wood everybody our uh, our UK man who I'm very proud has been a part of this program, and uh, without a doubt, in my opinion, uh, you know, it's pretty uh, pretty interesting uh, what we're able to try to do. So, you know, uh, it is what it is. So, you know, but with that said, okay, uh, we're waiting for Bill Winters uh, to come on the program, and as, as far as I'm concerned, Bill will certainly have a lot of input in and now Bill's calling here the uh and I have Bill Winters on the line. Bill, thank you very much for being on the Sports Exchange. Glad to have you with us, Bill. Thanks, guys. All right, Bill, we're gonna go over a bunch of uh topics. We're gonna do a few uh predictions and so forth. So we'll just start here from the top, okay Bill? All right. You got it. The NFL dropped the pro- uh, their proposal for an eighteen game season and they're focused on 17. As I mentioned to Anthony Wood moments ago, that's a reduction of one or two preseason games, possibility of expanding the playoffs, one extra uh, uh, team per conference. What are your thoughts about that? Well, you know, the owners try to uh, make as much money as they can. Um, it's not a, bad, uh, not a bad deal. I mean, it's what I consider to be a compromise as opposed to 18 games. Yeah, I think it is a compromise to uh, Bill. I mean, right now they're trying to get whatever revenue they can by adding the extra game, and they know that full well they'll never sell it with two unless they can offer an outrageous proposal that would really make it worth their while to begin with. You know what I mean? But, yeah, I agree with you that, uh, you know, you've already, you mentioned it in previous programs that, to me, the actual scrimmages that teams have with each other would probably be a good way to eliminate those preseason games because they're basically getting two and two even though they're not playing in front of anybody to begin with. So I think you're right about that. I really do. Yeah. They're talking about no no preseason games and 17 games. So maybe uh, one preseason game, uh, you know, that might help a little bit, but uh, there'll probably just be no extra Really? You think that? Well, I think so, yeah. Really? That's, I've never heard that one before. So why why don't you elaborate on that? Why? Well, I uh, just think that uh, you don't really need preseason games with all the inter-squad scrimmages that they have uh, during uh, uh, you know, the training camp and that kind of stuff. So I don't think you really need uh, exhibition games. Okay. I just want to tee it up and play 17 games. 
Okay, but meanwhile, the owners, I doubt, would buy into that because they're certainly looking out for their pocketbooks for sure. So I imagine they'd want to get one or two in, but I can appreciate your point that they're really a detriment nowadays in a league where nowadays you only you don't do as much hitting during the preparation as you did back in the time, Bill, when you were playing. So it's certainly a different game for sure. When you uh, talk about, but what about the extra playoff uh, team that they're talking about per conference? Do you think that that would saturate the playoff system, or do you think a one play team getting in is that big of a deal? Um, I think uh, I like it just the way it is. Uh, so I'm kind of in the, in the boat of, uh, you know, uh, one more playoff team is a little bit too much. Do you? But uh, then again, yeah. But, uh, and at the same time, uh, you have to look at revenues and the number of games and those types of things, so they'll probably get another, another uh Another playoff, another you know, another playoff team in there. That's my thinking is. Okay. Well, you got to remember too when you and I, when you were in the USFL, and I was covering that league uh, back in the eighties. They did have an eighteen game schedule, as I recall. Is that correct, Bill? Yes. And the first couple of games, nobody really knew who anybody was, and then as the season progressed, people started to become more familiar with the players, but. That's a different time frame altogether. So, with that said, let's go on to Melvin Gordon. He ends his holdout, Bill. He missed three game checks, and without him, the Chargers produced the 13th best running uh, game in the league with 111.7 yards uh, per contest. He's in the final year of his contract. Obviously, he had to report to the team by November 29th to accrue a year of service time to reach free agency. What are your thoughts about how this played out with Melvin Gordon? Well, I think he lost big time. Uh, you know, San Diego just does not pay. It was their history of that. And they're probably looking at, uh, even though they may have good statistics, uh, Philip Rivers hasn't been playing as well right. as he normally plays. So it's probably a combination of having a good running back back there that you, know, you can count on uh, that helps the passing game. So I think it's a good move. Well, just so you know, Bill, I, I think everybody's having a problem with this. It's the Los Angeles Chargers. What are your thoughts about the Los Angeles Chargers instead of San Diego? Are we really getting that old or what? Yes. And Carson, 27,000-seat uh, stadium. <laughs> Here it's a really nice place to play. It's probably where the XFL team is going to play. Right. Uh, so, um, you know, it's, it's got a history there of, um, you know, having to be in a good venue for a game. Yes, things have changed. San Diego's now L.A., and they're playing in Carson. Yeah, they're really. Well, you know, let's have a little bit of fun with the San Diego-L.A. situation, okay? The uh, Clippers uh, used to be in San Diego, and they moved to Los Angeles. So it seems like, to me, some of these teams are uh, moving a little bit north to play in L.A. I, I, there's no hockey team. So, but you have football, and then, of course, the only one that game you have left out in San Diego happens to be the Padres because they got a stadium built. So, you know, it's not uncommon for San Diego teams to move up to L.A. without a doubt. So, no, well, so They've always used San Diego as a leverage uh, to go to a bigger market. Right. So, so, Bill, tell me, how much bad blood do you think that there is between Gordon and the Chargers? What would you say? 
Okay, the Chargers travel to Miami to play the Dolphins on Sunday. Could you visualize a situation where Melvin Gordon is playing a little bit this Sunday? No. You don't? Okay. No. Well, that was pretty definitive. Okay, no problem. Yeah, and you need time to get into camp and get acclimated. Uh, you know, uh, I just don't see him uh, playing this week. But, you know, that could be dead wrong, but I don't think there's a reason for it. The only reason I thought that he would play maybe would be five to ten plays at the most to kind of get going a little bit, but who knows. Well, that'll be a discussion we have pretty soon. So, all right, let's go on to some football games, Bill. A guy that I'm very impressed with, and when I was in Jacksonville, I was thrilled that the Jaguars picked this guy up. Gardner Minshew the second takes on Joe Flacco on Sunday. This is a very unique matchup, Bill. What are your thoughts about this one? That's where I was going. Yeah, when you, when you learn from a guy like Mike Leach, oh yeah, you learn from a guy like Mike Leach. Okay, and everybody knows that Mike Leach is a great offensive mind. Uh, go dating back to his time with Texas Tech, and and uh, now that he's in the uh, Apple State, you know, yeah, there's no question. I like Gardner Minshew. He's a low-keyed um, country boy that uh, has been on a mission to try to do what he's got to do. And you know, it's great when you have a guy. Drafting in the sixth round that nobody thinks of you because now your ability to want to prove a lot of your doubters wrong to me is one of those things where you, you know, you'll always have a chip on your shoulder and you find yourself with a hidden gem. You and I could sit here and talk about many of the late round quarterbacks that turned out well. And we both know full well that Tom Brady would certainly top that list. So, you know, you can find hidden gems later in the draft. Depends on Prescott, he was like a fourth round pick, right? He didn't do too bad, did he? How many people are? Oh, Zach just keeps getting better and better and better. You know, and the fact that they uh, got Cooper now, you know, they're able. You know, it's a team game. Okay, the more you got a great running game, and you're able to get them to play the pass on defense because you've got great receivers. You got a quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over. It's efficient. Uh, you know, that's what Zach. Yeah, they, they really do. Uh, you know, so, yeah, when you talk about a lot of these players or where they're coming from, to me, I think that these are the ones that, like I said, Bill, have a uh, chip on their shoulder, and uh, and that's really what it's all about. And, you know, nothing like being able to prove your doubters wrong. And that doesn't count the fact that how many 
uh, undrafted free agents get an opportunity, and then they work their way on rosters as time goes on. Plus, they're cheap. You don't have to pay them a lot of money uh, on a practice squad. You get an idea what they're going to do, and then and they play their way in practice to get those opportunities. So, all right, let's talk. Let's talk about a few games this weekend. Bill, you have Seattle at Arizona, Russell Wilson versus Kyler Murray. Uh, what are your observations on that? Well, I like Seattle in that game. Uh, yeah, Arizona uh, needs to get a win, but uh, I like Seattle in that game. Uh, the good overall team coming off a loss, so that, you know the punk guy in Arizona can get a win. So, you have two interesting quarterbacks. So, where do you feel that Russell Wilson? Is at this stage of his career? Well, I think he's in the peak of his career right now. I think he's playing very well. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he's, you know, Seattle's got you know, a good opportunity to, to be in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think he's so. He's you know, great football right now. I, I think so, too, without a doubt. So, Kyler Murray's an interesting story. So, what are your observations about Kyler Murray? Two players, though, I do like on Arizona. You got running back David Johnson, and you also have uh, uh, Larry Fitzgerald. Those guys still seem to be playing at a fairly decent level. Oh, yeah, yeah. They just need a couple more. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. Oh, I'm with you. I mean, there's no doubt that the Cardinals, uh, they're a team that was, what, 3-13 and 13 a year ago anyways, and uh, mm-hmm. gave up on Josh sure. Rosen. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. So, all right, well, now that we're talking about the Cardinals a little bit, Let's talk about Josh Rosen for a moment. So, you know, what can people expect to see with him in Miami right now? Obviously, he has probably another so many games before they make a decision that they either he becomes a backup or whether or not they draft their next quarterback. We all know the Dolphins are going to get a great pick for sure. question about it, Bill. No question about it. So, uh, we're going to go into a few other games, okay? And this was a very this is a very interesting matchup uh, between two undefeated teams. You have New England 3-0 at Buffalo 3-0. The game's being played in um, upstate New York. Tom Brady against Josh Allen. Now, who would have thought going into this contest of both of 3-0? But nevertheless, that's exactly what you have. What do you expect out of this game, Bill? Brady's in a quarterback, so I don't see anything different. 
Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but I, I gotta give. Uh, jo it's good to see Josh Allen though developing. Here's a guy that had a lot of doubters going into the league. So you know, Buffalo certainly hasn't had a great quarterback since Jim Kelly departed. So you know, and they've gone through quite a few of them as well. I mean, think about some of the guys that have come through there: Rob Johnson, Doug Flutie, and I'm sure the list goes on and on. So. You know, I, I hope Josh Allen uh, does well. A lot of people have doubted him on, uh, as he went ahead and uh, played. And uh, I think, I, again, anything that can happen with Josh can only be good. He's in the second year of his development. So, you know, and I'll tell you one thing about Buffalo, though, Bill. Uh, like Buffalo Bill, how about that? Let's bring on a Wyoming so when we start our show, Wild Bill Winters, I don't know if we're going to invite what, Buffalo Bill. But my point is is that you've got Frank Gore back there. T.J. Yeldon is on that team. And I'm sure uh, I'm trying to think of some other running backs. But, you know, if they can surround him with a halfway decent running game and find some pretty decent wideouts, there's no reason to think that they can't get in the playoffs as a wild card team. And when you look at the fact that their division is so weak to begin with, with the Jets and the Miami Dolphins, where they would go, it's anybody's guess. You know what I mean? But still. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll yeah. see this weekend. Yeah, well, we'll be back to reality. Yeah, so all right, if they're going to be back to reality, why don't you go ahead and give me a score that uh, the fans out there can anticipate? Okay, but I need a prediction on the New England Buffalo game. I'm glad that you've actually gone from a commentator to a update guy while I'm insane enough to do this show, competing alongside of that. But in my opinion, to keep the continuity of the program going, that's why we're doing this for those that wonder why we're doing it tonight. But but the reality of the situation is what's your prediction for New England and Buffalo since you feel that New England is so much more superior? Okay, Cle the Cleveland Browns at the Baltimore Ravens. Here's a do you? Okay, so we have you got Baker Mayfield against Lamar Jackson, and the same classmates in 2018. I personally think that the Browns are so overhyped it's ridiculous. Anyways. and everything. 
behind is that uh, Baker Mayfield is going to have what we call the sophomore chinks. He's not going to play as well as he did last year for the very reasons that coaches have figured him out. Right. Uh, they're going to make him sit in that pocket and zing it. And even though he has Odell Beckham Jr., they're not playing as well as they were last year on offense. Uh, their defense is good, and I just don't think that he's developed as well as some of the other quarterbacks that have uh, you know, been there for a year earlier. Boy, you bring you bring up a lot of good points. First of all, I agree Baker Mayfield will be victimized because of the sophomore jinx. And you're right, nobody had any film on there. And I guess to me, you want to talk about a one-and-done coach, Freddie Kitchens will be that one-and-done coach. I think they could have done better in that department. I don't know why they thought this guy would be the one uh, that can try to turn things around. We all know that... Well, dirt- we all I think, and these two franchises have bad blood. When you look at the cities, though, let's not kid ourselves from a historical perspective, okay? Number one, okay, the original Browns moved to Baltimore, and whether or not, even though uh, they have a hefty history, it doesn't matter. They should have been the Baltimore Browns, but that never happened. So you've got a little bit of something going there. But more importantly, Bill, I, I totally agree with you. Keep your damn mouth shut. That's what you've got to do. I mean, that's all, not you. I'm talking about him. I'll, I'll, you keep your mouth open because you do a good job with it. But you know where I'm coming from, Bill. And, uh, yeah, you know, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of today's players simply can't keep their mouth shut for whatever reason. I'm sick and tired of talking about players, uh, whether it's social media or whatever, talking because they actually have a bullseye in their chest at some point or another anyways. And they're... Yeah. There's a new, a new breed of cat playing in the, uh, in the National Football League. They cannot even handle being called out. That's uh, true. It's a lot different than it was in 2006. I forget who the player was uh, that was talking about that very issue today. He's been in the league since 2006. And he says he's, been, he's seen things change quite a bit. Uh, there are some, some coaches out there that have gone on record saying coaches don't want to 
longer be coached. Right. Okay, uh, it's turning into entertainment. This is what happens when you pay players a ton of money. Right. All right, and then you have to have uh, coaches that uh, can kind of, you know, get along with them and be nice and buddy, 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 and that kind of thing. And, you know, the Browns uh, haven't done anything in a long, long time. Uh, The last thing that I'd be doing right now is uh, letting my star players uh, run their mouth and, and talk and then, you know, put targets on their back. Okay, and I honestly think this weekend uh, they're going to get a real lesson. Okay, this thing could spiral out of control very quickly because you know that a team is judged on how they handle adversity. All right, and you know, you, when you have uh, a lot of players uh, that are running their mouths, then you have adversity. You know, we'll see what kind of team they have right now, but I'll be honest with you, I think they're going to fall apart. All right, I think Cincinnati's going to wind up nipping at them. Okay, I think the Ravens are going to win that division. Right. Okay, the Steelers are kind of like a wounded duck right now, and right. Uh, these are physical football teams. All right, and, uh, you know, I know that Cleveland's pretty good on defense. I watched them play against the Buccaneers during the preseason. They were dominant. Right. And I watched Baker Mayfield throw off his back foot, and then, you know, some open guys that weren't open. So he's got to ratchet up his game a little bit, and I don't know if he can because, you know, you're going to be able to read coverages. I think you're going to have quarterbacks that are going to keep developing, like Gardner Minshew. I think you have quarterbacks that are going to not develop right. uh, because they've been exposed. Right. I mean, I just, you know, I like Baker Mayfield. I want him to see do well, but where they start, what I'm seeing on film, they happen. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny. Let's talk about Rex Ryan for a moment, Bill, okay? I never thought much of him as a head coach. He talked too much, and everybody got sick and tired of that, so he landed in the right spot on ESPN on TV. That's where he's at. But what, despite Rex Ryan's overhyped coaching, okay, that amounted to nothing, even though I don't think Baker Mayfield should be saying anything about Ryan. Ryan knows more about football than Rex than uh, Baker Mayfield will know in 10 lifetimes anyhow, because let's not lose sight of the fact that I believe he was the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens when they uh, won the uh, Super Bowl, I believe, or at least he was a a part of the Ravens staff when they had some success. So Rex knows what he's talking about, and if anybody knows how to read uh, offenses, uh, Rex Ryan certainly does. And and I actually enjoy Rex Ryan on television more so than, you know, he could sell me a car if he wanted to, but... And he definitely sold Tim Tebow to join the Jets when Tim Tebow should have been in Jacksonville. So this guy could sell anything, boy. So let's just make sure that if we ever see Rex Ryan in a car lot, we better not be sold a vehicle because Rex Ryan would definitely do it to us 10 times over. He'd probably get top dollar for it, wouldn't he? Uh, Well, I think it depends if it's a, uh, a good used car. Yeah, there's a brand new car. No, I just that's just my uh, evaluation of Rex Ryan. I think uh, he's a, a, a good coach defensively, right. offensively. You know, uh, you know, if he won a couple of those games, people might be paying attention to him a little bit more. Right. Uh, you know, never, the Jets really never had a quarterback either when he was there. Okay, yeah. uh, you know, so uh, you know, it, it is what it is. They still, I think, they won the division with that uh, kid from. Uh, USC. Yeah, Mark Sanchez. Okay, with butt fumble, yeah. All right, Mark but, you know, Sanchez. You're not going to win again. I mean, he's, he's done well. But it's a team game. You know, you play great defense and run the football like right. the Ravens did or like the Jets tried to do. Right. And Ryan wins a couple of those games against, uh, you know, the Patriots. People might not, you know, they, they might listen to him a little bit more as opposed to thinking that he's a car salesman. 
Yeah, because that's how he comes across. And let's not kid yourself. You know that when uh, when Sanchez was drafted, who was drafted ahead of him? Guy by the name of Matt Stafford. Matt's actually done a pretty good job. So Lions made out. The Lions are sneaky good this year. Yeah, sneaky. Uh, yeah, they are. I think they're going to be interesting. Obviously, they uh, should have had a win out in Arizona, but to come back in back-to-back weeks and beat the Eagles and the uh, Chargers is interesting. I'll be curious to see how they fare up against, you know, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But the thing I like about that game is the fact that it's in Detroit, so it definitely has some interesting meaning for sure. And the guy that will... Yeah, I'll be inter- concerned a little bit, you know, about those, you know, players playing on AstroTurf injury-wise, that kind of stuff. No doubt about it. All right, Bill. Things have been going awful smoothly in Kansas City. Very- you know, uh, let's see what happens when Mahomes gets dinged up a little bit. Sounds good, Bill. All right, I got George Icord calling in. Thank you for being on the program. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right, yep. All right, George. How you doing? Good. Can- how are you, Scott? I'm doing fine, thanks. Anyways, uh, I like people out here that question me why we actually go ahead and do the show opposite Thursday Night Football, and that's okay. Because you ever heard of continuity? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, there's your answer here on live radio. So, uh, ah. but anyways, uh, since you're uh, uh, on the line, let's give you an opportunity to uh, uh, talk uh, Detroit sports, and we're going to lead it off with the Lions and the Chiefs. Are you going to that game? Yeah, I'll be covering the game for the Detroit Monitor newspaper. Uh, the Detroit Lions, of course, unbelievably, are 2-0-1. Uh, maybe maybe not so unbelievable uh, the tie with Arizona because most people had penciled that in for a victory, but more hard to fathom beating the Chargers and the Eagles on successive weeks got to uh, – to uh, take two wins into that game against the Chiefs and the Hot Chiefs, of course, three and all they are on the season, as you know. Yeah, I mean it's definitely an interesting matchup for sure uh, with with the Chiefs. I saw them in Week One against Jacksonville, a defense that was expected to be really good, but Patrick Mahomes can make anybody look very bad. But I, I have a feeling that this game. It's going to be interesting because it's the first time I believe he's playing indoors on natural turf. So, you know, I think that that well, tend, that tends that could factor into it. Go ahead, George. Yeah, well, no, I agree, Scott. I mean, you know, the uh, you know these Chiefs wins have not been perfect by any stretch. Neither have the Lions' victories, of course. But that being said, um, I know that the uh, you know Kansas City defense against the pat uh, against the rush has not been effective at all. And uh, if the Lions can get Carry on Johnson moving and get him into the groove and, and get that running game going, um, yeah, the Lions can surprise the Chiefs in some areas of that game. Now, that being said, they have to, of course, shut down uh, Mahomes as, as far as his long-range and short-range passing goes because, uh, you know, the Detroit defense, uh, the, the secondary has performed pretty well this year. So, I think those are the, my two key matchups, Scott, are going to be can Detroit's um, uh, running game, you know, move that ball against the Kansas City front four and the middle linebackers, I mean the linebackers, and also can the Lions secondary stand up to uh, Mahomes? Yeah, I mean, Mahomes is an interesting bird. I mean, 
Listen, this, how many times have you and I seen a team within the first four uh, weeks of the year? You know, I saw them first, you get them next. And, but let's face the reality. Now, let me give you a few things that I saw uh, down here in Jacksonville. First of all, Sammy Watkins has been a little bit of a funk. However, I think that he could be a potentially dangerous weapon. I don't know how good the Lions secondary is, but, you know, he's one of those kinds of people that, you know what? You know, he could have a breakout game. A guy you should probably pay attention to that I think is going to have a potentially good game or start breaking out is a guy by the name of LaShawn McCoy, imported from Buffalo. Okay. And he might just be that running back that could cause a little bit of havoc for that Lions defense. And everybody knows what a great football mind that Andy Reid is, George. take that a little step further, George. When I was living in Arizona, I covered the Arizona Cardinals against the Dallas Cowboys. And you know who I spoke to in the Cowboys locker room? No. Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones, the owner. And you know what question I asked him, George Icorn? I bet I know Scott Morgan Roth. Well, what did I ask him, George? Huh? Well, for a guy that stood up in my wedding, yes, I did. Okay. And for a guy that I actually started this show, uh, that I began working on this show 40 years ago, yes. And you know what Jerry Jones told me in the locker room, okay, at Sun Devil Stadium, because they hadn't moved into their new gigs over in uh, Glendale, there was no way he was going to ever let Hunt wrestle that game away. And he was going to, and everybody can tell you right now that. Jerry Jones has an awful lot of power in that league. His influence, okay, is so strong that he's one of the major reasons that Los Angeles got the Rams uh, over there because Jerry Jones managed to know that uh, his dealings with uh, Stan Kroenke were good and, you know, he convinced everybody to go back to L.A. So Jerry Jones is a very influential individual, and he said that he would fight like heck to make sure Detroit never lost that game. So how did it end up working out? Okay, they ended up making a third uh, game at night, and I believe the Kansas City Chiefs ended up hosting one of those games. Yes, they did, Scott Morgan Ross. You're absolutely right. Uh, NBC grabbed onto that with their Thursday night slash Sunday night football coverage, and now there is a third game on Thanksgiving, and you're absolutely right. Uh, the Hunt family was rewarded. I believe they got it in maybe the first year even right. that that, uh, that Thursday night Thanksgiving uh, deal started. But um, you're right. Jerry Jones stood up with broad shoulders right next to William Clay Ford, owner of the Lions, and put down any scuttlebutt that Lamar Hunt and his family wanted to do because uh, that tradition is not going to be tampered with. Detroit is happy with that early start, as you know, 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. 
Scott as well as I do, and your listeners, that Fox and CBS usually rotate. You know those two those two games, depending on the opponent for the um, Cowboys and the Lions, respectively. And um, and this year it's another Lions Chicago Bears matchup. I do believe. Well, the amazing. Yeah, the amazing part about it is in recent years, everybody used to think you had an AFC team uh, against the Cowboys or vice versa. But nowadays, uh, I believe Fox and, uh, let's see, uh, you've got, uh, N- not NBC, but uh, who's do- well, who does the second game? Fox and CBS, okay. Uh, they've yeah. had uh, four NFC opponents in those first slots, so you know, they don't care. They're looking for the matchup, you know, and... And let's not lose sight of the fact that the uh, that th- Detroit has the annual Thanksgiving parade down at Woodward. So Thanksgiving is a very big tradition and back home in Detroit for sure. So, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they do. They, you're right. I mean, that's a totally different subject matter, having the parade. But uh, Detroit also, by the way, I just found out this week, over 150 stations are going to carry the Detroit parade this year which is a whopping number because what they do is they, um, you know, they sell the rights to, um, I believe it's just one hour, maybe it's two hours of the parade, um, you know, and uh, so they, they have the Detroit parade showing across the country. That Again, that's a totally different uh, subject matter. But I wanted to also mention to you that, um, you know, because of the NFL schedule, of course, we know that these AFC teams, you know, only come into uh, – those NFC stadiums, you know, once in a blue moon, you know, because they got to work their way through the three, what is it, three or four conferences well, now. The blue moon, just so you know, George is once every eight years. Oh my gosh, that's right. I'm sorry, Scott, I thought it was... Well, was that's all right. I, you didn't have to say what the blue moon was. It doesn't matter. Bottom line is they play, they rotate, so they come once every eight years. So it doesn't matter. Once every eight they play yeah. each other tw- yeah. twice in eight years, and they, they, that's how they rotate. But, yeah, it's no big deal. It's what it is. But regardless, yeah. the, these networks are going for the matchup. If they think you got a NFC or Chris Berman would say Norris division matchup between any of these teams, you know they're going to jump on it all day long. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. No, it's, it, it's, it, yeah, it is a rare treat for Detroit fans to see the Chiefs and vice versa. And, uh. You know, I, I do applaud the NFL. They, they, they got a good schedule. They do a good schedule. Uh, and also, by the way, Dallas is coming in to Ford Field, too. So the, the Lions are getting Dallas, the Giants, Kansas City, um, you know, and, and, and basically um, uh, the Chargers, of course, don't come that often. That's another team they got this year at home. So Lions have a very difficult um, home schedule as well as some tough road matches coming up, of course. Uh, it goes without saying that uh, the eyes are focused on Monday Night Football, October 14th. The Lions, of course, will be in the Green Bay Lambeau Field to face the uh, Packers. Well, there you go. Another NFC North division matchup between the state of Michigan and Wisconsin. I can, you and I could definitely talk about the tradition there. With that said, okay, yeah. let's go to the sport that's on Frozen Pond, and I'll talk about the Detroit Red Wings. We've got Steve Eiserman now running the show back in Detroit. You know, obviously they're playing preseason games. I imagine they have a couple more to go before they start skating them up for real. But what are your early impressions of Steve Eiserman, George? Well, my early impressions are, are fairly good. I think, um, you know, 
there were some people that were mad because uh, Dylan Larkin, the young star of the Red Wings, wasn't anointed or appointed captain this year. But I have it on a very good source that Stevie is taking a look at the whole operation and what's going on. And he is not going to uh, jump at anything yet, such as appointing a really young captain at 20 or 21, whatever Larkin is. Um, and I think that's a good sign. Yes, uh, he did have a chance to tinker a little bit with uh, some of the scouting staff in the front office, but not a whole lot. So I think Eisenman is, uh, you know, he's going to soak all of this stuff in like a sponge. Uh, he, of course, he has his eye on talent as well. And what I mean by that is um, these guys are fighting for jobs, Scott, and your listeners. The Red Wings are fighting. I mean, there are these, these exhibition games and these training camps uh, for the Red Wings have been uh, – a little bit more grueling and, a, and I think much more competitive because there's a lot of guys are looking at like they do every year, but there's a lot of young, there's a lot of young talent, okay? A guy named Michael Rasmussen, for example, he has scored two goals tonight and Detroit is leading St. Louis right now, I believe, 4-1 to one in the NHL Kraft Hockeyville game up in Calumet, Michigan. And this kid, keep your eye on this Michael Rasmussen, okay? You got to got a cup of coffee in the NHL last year with the Red Wings, but um, he very well could earn a spot on that uh, you know, second or third line this year. Rasmussen, like I said, has scored a couple goals tonight, and so has Anthony Mantha mm-hmm. put the puck in the net twice. So you, you, what you're seeing here, folks, and Scott, are a lot of young players that, you know, Ken Holland gets the credit for, of course, drafting these kids, but now they're, 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 they're ready, some of them. Not all of them, Scott, but some of them are ready to take the step into the NHL. Well, I mean, again, Holland laid the groundwork for him, but everybody knows that Steve Eiserman knows how to build teams. Everybody saw what he did in Tampa Bay with the Lightning. So, you know, I think it's a good transition. And, And I think one of the things I'll be looking at all year, outside of the players that are on the field, George, or on the ice, I should say, but the relationship that Ken, that Steve Eiserman has with Jeff Flashel, the coach. Yeah, you're, you're, that's a very good observation uh, because, uh, you know, Flashel, I don't want to say he's on a short string, but he probably is, only the fact that, you know, Steve doesn't know him that well and, and Jeff doesn't know Steve probably as well. I mean, as far as management goes. But all that being said, you know, Blashill's been a decent coach to try to develop the young talent, but he has not been a winning coach. He has not won, as you know, Scott. Right. The Remington's now missing the playoffs for several seasons in a row now. Right. And that doesn't suit well. That doesn't suit well with fans that are forking out a lot of money in a brand new arena, as you know. Uh, they want to see their wing wheels uh, in the playoffs come uh, April and May. Well, they did for 25 years in a row. What do you expect? I mean, you know, that, that's yeah. a town that really. Uh, has an expectation, but you know, I still understand the fact that a lot of sports you're going to have good periods because, and then bad periods. And a lot of those in, problems is when you're drafting low all the time. It's a lot more difficult to find that hidden gem. But yet the Red Wings did for a lot of years. But ultimately, the retirements of Nicholas Lindstrom, of course, Iserman, and the beat goes on. In fact, now that uh, that score has gone final, the Red Wings score. The St. Louis Blues won, you know. So when you talk about the fact that 
you know, you don't not drafting a Italian pickler. I remember uh, Jimmy Devolato telling me that that the Red Wings were a victim of their own success. Paul Woods has talked about that to me many times, and I get the opportunity, thankfully, since the Red Wings are in the Eastern Conference, to see the, these people a couple times a year, right, twenty minutes away from me here in Sunrise, Florida. So, you know, I, I know what's going on there, and don't lose sight of the fact that even though I'm not there as much as I'd like to be. I do get the NHL package, and I watch a lot of Red Wings games. So, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's good. I'm glad you keep an eye on them, and uh, and uh, you're exactly right. Uh, there was, you know, there is some second-guessing going on, let's call it, about Holland and wanting to keep that playoff streak alive, and maybe they could have very well gone with the youth movement a little earlier than they did, um, uh, you know, to try to revamp the roster. You know, Holland would would, of course, get a lot of, uh, you know, veterans, uh, you know, to plug some holes and some gaps and all that. But I don't think the man should be faulted. I think that the fans love to be in the playoffs, so the team loves to be make the playoffs. And I, I think the naysayers who said, oh, wow, they sacrificed a couple of years by maybe, you know, forget that stuff. Okay, there's water under the bridge now. What you're doing now in Detroit is building a team and building for the success of the future and hopefully make the playoffs either this year or, if not this year, next season. Yeah, I would never second-guess Kenny Holland. I was glad that he got into the playoffs 25 years in a row. The only thing I would honestly second-guess Ken Holland on right now is why do you take the Edmonton job when you could have gone ahead and taken the Seattle job and built that organization from scratch? <laughs> I'm kind of yeah. mind-boggled at that one. I really am. Well, you know, did, did he know he was going to get the Seattle job for sure? We don't know that, Scott. You know, what, what he did is he settled for the thing that was certain, and the certainty for him was, of course, the Edmonton job. So, I mean, I know what you're saying, and he's from the Vancouver area, and ideally it would have been great, almost as good as Steve Eisenman coming back to Detroit, matter right. of fact. But, but again, uh, we don't know the inside there. We don't know, you know, maybe – Maybe, you know, Kenny just felt it was too too good to pass off, too risky maybe, if he said no to Edmonton and then maybe Seattle sided with somebody else. Of course, we'll never know. We'll never know because it's not going to happen now. Right. Well, it's speculation. Everybody's entitled to speculate in this business. Not only do we come up with a lot of facts, but we, what we also do is uh, we do speculate, and that's what this is all about. Is we're called talk radio. So let's go on to the team that also plays at the Little Caesars Arena called the Detroit Pistons. I'm going to mention a few names to you and tell me whether you think they'll be a factor uh, this coming year for the, the Pistons. First of all, they recently jo- signed Joe Johnson. They need- uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, Joe Johnson played in, what, the Big Three tournament? Right. And uh, I, I think that he, he did very, very well. He's he's one of the best players in that tournament. So, uh, no, I think that's a decent pickup. They're they're adding some depth on the roster, and Joe's got some good you know skills, a good, a good skill set to bring to the team. Um, yeah, I like that. How about you? Do you like it? Yeah, anytime you can add a shooter, let alone a proven one, I have no problem with it either. I, I was actually caught off guard by it, but why not? They they need to put the ball in the hole, so I have no problem with it. Derrick Rose is an interesting addition. So uh, where does Derrick Rose fit into? Uh, the Pistons plan uh, this year. I think he's certainly an upgrade, and why not? He's been around the league for a while. He's a veteran. Yeah, I think that's what Detroit is doing. They're loading the roster right now with veterans. I mean, you know, they, you know 
we'll, you know, the proof will be in the pudding, as they say. Um, you know, Johnson, going back to him, I think he was an NBA All-Star seven times. And, uh, of course, Derrick Rose, I mean, he's had a great career, um, although he's been hampered a little bit by injuries in the past. But I think it was a good pickup for Detroit. Um, you know, again, the, the whole thing is can all these players mesh together? I mean, let's face it, the big three are Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin, and uh, uh, Reggie Jackson. So, you know, the, the thing is, is you're trying to complement that roster, you know, and uh, let's not forget Luke Kennard, who's right. young, but he has a lot of ability and, and did well as he was, you know, put into the starting lineup, uh, you know, part of, part of last season. So I think Coach Dwayne Casey is what he's trying to do is, uh, you know, stack that front court a little bit, you know, and, and get these guys, these guys, what, uh, Marquise Morris, Morris, they picked up, right. right? Yeah, and then there's that Son Maker, who's a big fella, of course we know, and, uh, uh, you know, and a decent shooter. So I think the, the key for Detroit is what I thought they were really lacking, Scott, last year was an inside game. Right. You know, uh, you know, Drummond is, you know, a great rebounder. Of course, we know that. But, you know, he's these other guys were not doing the rebounding. Blake Griffin is not a good rebounder. He plays that outside game most of the time. Right. I, I, I think that the, for the Pistons to move up in the conference and get more wins, I really do think they got to try to strategize a little bit better with, with that inside game. Try to try to go to the hole, as they say, a little bit more often. Yeah, it almost seems like the Detroit Pistons are adding a few former Milwaukee Bucks. He alluded to one, Lathan Maker. Don't forget Tony Snell is on board. Whether that does anything for him or not is anybody's guess, but they're trying to be aggressive to make some kind of off-season move. So now you talked about Reggie Jackson, okay? I know they're at a crossroads with him. Do you think that Reggie Jackson has a future in Detroit, or do you think this is a make-or-break year for Reggie? I don't think there's going to be a future for him. I really don't. I mean, he was healthy most of last year, which was good, and, and did put up some decent numbers. But I just got a feeling that, um, uh, number one, I, you know, the money he's probably going to command in his next contract, I, I don't think the Pistons are going to be willing to give it to him. I really, and, and of course, they're, they're hampered with this huge contract now for Blake, and, and Andre's got a huge contract, as you know, so... And I, I don't know. I mean, I think if they had, if they would have been more if Reggie would have been more successful, and the Pistons would have been more successful, I, I would say there was a possibility of him staying. But at this point, my venture would be that they're gonna they're gonna move away from him. I, I actually I actually wonder, George, that I know that the Pistons are keeping him. Obviously, this year they've got no way to, to move his salary anyhow. But when you right. look at his body of work in Detroit outside of some of his injury issues, I don't know how much value he would really have on the open market, which especially considering the fact that Stan Van Gundy overpaid the guy in the first place and Detroit was stuck uh, with all these salaries, which explains why Stan Van Gundy isn't even in the league anymore anyway. So, you know, I, I don't even know what Reggie Jackson's value would be on the open market, to be honest with you, George. Yeah, no, no you bring up a good point. And for the, our listeners, as they may recall, many of them. He was a former Oklahoma City player, uh, you know, around 2011, well, until the Pistons got him in, in 2015. So, I mean, he did have some decent numbers, uh, of course, you know, coming out of Boston College and that program there. But then, you know, uh, 
you know, he didn't get he didn't get a lot of action, I, as I recall, in his first year or so with Oklahoma City. Then he came on a little bit, but um, yeah, the Pistons I, right now, you know, they've held his rights now and had him, and they, they got him in a trade. I remember right that that three way trade with uh, Utah. I believe it was Utah. Right, but um, Jackson is um, that's a good point, Scott. You know, when you think about it that way, it's uh, really what value does he have? you know, among those other NBA clubs, like you said. Yeah, I, I, I think that his value will be overstated. Now, whether they'd want to retain him for a much lesser amount, I don't know. But to me, I, I judging by his body of work with the Pistons, they haven't won a playoff game in a while, let alone a series for a while. So me personally, and again, I'm not a personnel guy, I, I would think that they would probably go ahead and... Uh, move on from him and see if they can find a better player through the draft or, you know, you don't know who's out there that's available. So I, to me, I, I would think that Reggie Jackson, his future would definitely be in doubt. So we have a few more minutes to go, George. So let's go on to the Detroit Tigers. Uh, the home portion of the schedule is over with now. And obviously they only have a few more games over the weekend. I believe it's with the White Sox, you know, Ron Gardenhire, uh, his, two years under his belt did the Tigers accomplish anything in terms of player evaluation this year well I think so I mean they had a horrible home season as we know and you just mentioned that they wrapped things up today I mean Scott how bad is it when Minnesota after their celebration last night puts out a minor league lineup I mean all due respect I mean a couple of I know a couple of guys are major leaguers I don't mean it that way but you know, they put up all the scrubs today in a game after they were out partying last night, and Detroit still can't beat them at home. Right. They lose ten. They lose ten to four. It's just been a frustrating year for Tiger right. fans. You know that as well as anybody, and especially at home, just the uh, the worst home record they put up since uh, Trammell's year, I believe, of two thousand and three. Right. That being said, that being said, let's get to your question. Did they evaluate? Did they get any leads on any of these young players? I want to say they did. Um, you know, there's a few of them that stood out. Brandon Dixon had a good year. I liked what he did. Of course, uh, Jacoby Jones was not a rookie, but he had a good year. Uh, they got some, uh, you know, another look at Joe Jimenez now in a new role as the closer. I'm still leery of that. You know, after the trade of Shane Green, I don't think Jimenez is ready to step into that role yet. He certainly had his ups and downs this year. Um, you know, there's Harold Castro and Willie Castro and the guy named Victor Reyes. So there's a lot of guys that, you know, uh, you know, played pretty differently. There's this uh, Lugo guy at second base. Right. Um, you know, he's had a pretty solid, albeit around 250, 255 or whatever his average is, but he's played solidly, I thought, for a rookie. Um, so, and um, um, of course, um, uh, you know, uh, Tyler Alexander, there have been a couple guys in the bullpen, a couple guys, um, what's his name? I can't think of his name. Come on, help me out. They lost the 16 games. Oh, you're talking about uh, uh, Spencer Turnbull. Spencer, Spencer. okay. Yeah, he, showed, he showed some signs of, uh, of life, too. Spencer Turnbull, and, and so did Tyler Alexander. And, of course, Lloyd had a pretty decent year. But to answer your question, I think they saw some signs, but I don't think these are the guys that are going to be necessarily here when things turn around. Uh, oh, and we forgot the catcher, of course. Jake uh, Rogers. 
Yeah, Jake, Jake. Yeah. You interviewed, I know. Yeah, he has Jake potential upside. I think he needs to get his offense in order, but uh, from a defensive standpoint, they say he's good. Let me give you a couple of uh, thoughts. Number one, I agree with you. I don't think Joe Jimenez is the uh, closer of the future. He just makes me nervous. I think he has no command on his pitches at all. I don't care how hard you throw the baseball. If you can't throw it in the right spot, then that velocity doesn't mean anything. Number two, I think the one thing that will be interesting going into camp next year is whether Michael Fulmer is fully recovered from Tommy John surgery to see whether he'll be a factor uh, in that starting rotation. That's a good point. And then you you also have the uh, outfielder acquired, was it uh, Demerit uh, from the Braves? Could be interesting. And, and then the last player I want to mention before we wrap up the program is Christian Stewart. I think a lot more people really went ahead and thought that he would be more of a factor. And it sounds like, you know, just because you hit the cover off the baseball in AAA and below, the major leagues is definitely uh, a different animal, and Christian found out that this year. Yeah, you're right. Christian is a disappointment, and, of course, we can't forget Candelario. Uh, was a bit of a disappointment too this year. His power numbers really tanked right. this year, and you're and you're absolutely right on when you mentioned about Christian Stewart. He could hit the ball, cover off the ball in the minors, but he, he could not go long range uh, in Detroit. Here, the Tigers had one of the worst power stats of any teams in, in in the year of the home run, as we saw with the Minnesota Twins hitting number three hundred this year. Right. Unbelievable. Uh, the Tigers were right near the bottom as far as power and home runs go and um, I was disappointed as you were and of course Miguel Cabrera is nothing like he was in the past right. his numbers really his numbers again stunk this year um, you know it's just sad to see him demise like he's been demising um, you know with injuries and other things associated with his body and uh, you know a little bit overweight too even he admitted the other day he needs to lose some weight yeah, a few other th- things I want to close on. Uh, Nicholas Castellanos wanted to be out of town in the worst way, and he ended up getting his exit papers to the Cubs, but unfortunately for the Chicago Cubs, they're not going to the postseason, and they ended the season horribly, losing quite a few games yeah. in a row, which paved the way for the Milwaukee Brewers to get in the playoffs. And if I had a vote for a manager of the year candidate, I would definitely give Craig Council my vote because not only did he worked through a lot of uh, challenges with their pitching, losing Corey Knable from the beginning, culminating it with the end of Christian Yellow to the end. But the Milwaukee Brewers are a dangerous team going into the postseason. Who knows how far they'll get in the postseason. Time will be the determining factor. But Nick Castellanos, to me, will be a free agent. I'll be curious to see where he winds up anyways. And I... And, uh, I also think that Joe Madden will be looking for a job as well. So, oh yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Joe's probably going to be out. And uh, Nick, I know he would love to stay in Chicago. I think he really found uh, Wrigley Field to his liking. My gosh, the numbers he put up there were were quite substantial. But it's still, like you said, the bottom line is still was not enough to get the Cubs into the playoffs. Right. Um, they really had a bad uh, last week and a half or so. They've been playing and losing. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if the Cubs are going to want to put up that kind of money. They, you know, Nick cannot field. He's not a good fielder, as we know. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, this Cubs team could really get a shaking down after what happened this year, and, and like you said, including their manager. 
Yeah, even though the Tigers traded Castellanos for minor leaguers, at least, you know, they were determined to get something instead of nothing. Who knows what that something's going to be. But mm -hmm. meanwhile, you know, George, you and I have worked together on the Sports Exchange for a lot of years. And I'm glad that we're back on uh, the Sports Exchange every opportunity that we get. A new platform for the program that will uh, provide our listeners with a lot more uh, opportunities to talk to more and more guests. And everybody will have an opportunity that we bring on here to be able to have more time to talk about what they do best. So, meanwhile, uh, since you are my closer tonight, okay, on behalf of George Eichhorn, um, and we want to thank the rest of our guests, Ryan Schoolroot, Anthony Wood, and Bill Winters, we want to thank you very much for tuning into the Sports Exchange. And uh, be, uh, I will let you know when our next edition will be. Most likely uh, it'll be next Tuesday, but we will also have smaller shows as well. So, Stay tuned. And, George, once again, thanks for coming on the program on short notice. You're very welcome. And uh, we will talk again soon. Thank you, George. And everybody have a great football weekend. God bless here from Thank Scott Morganroth on the Sports Exchange with George Icorn. Good night, everybody. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!